well, when I was over here, I don't remember it's when the people were praying over me or if it was before they started praying over me, but um, notice uh, how human beings are constructed, like from their, their shoulders up, right? There's um, certain devices on one side that aren't on the other side, right? Some devices on both sides, like see these here? They're on both sides. <laughs> I just heard Tanya. Theseers. When we adopted Tanya, we were in a restaurant in Ukraine, and and I was, we were talking about something, and she, she made up a word. She said theseers. Do you mean theseers? Because she didn't speak English when we first, you know, got to know her. She only spoke Russian. So <laughs> theseers are different than theseers. <laughs> you don't have a front and a back. You have two fronts. And here's what the Lord wants me to say to you this morning. He wants you to put your hands, like a hand, right here. Does it change what you see? No. Put your hand right here. Does it change what you see? Okay. So he put theseers on this side. You might even notice your feet. They're pointed one direction, right? If you try to walk backwards, it's hard because your feet aren't made to walk backwards. Your knees aren't made to walk backwards. And you can't see where you're going. He put the eyes on this side, and he made the feet. you make fun of my feet, too. Don't, don't make fun of my feet. He put the feet like this because the way they're supposed to go is that way. So in, in, I don't know, two, three hours, I'll be done preaching, and then your eyes are to be set forward, and your feet are to be set forward because God gave me a word. I'm pretty sure it was from the Lord. I, I, didn't, I couldn't put it in my notes because it came to me when we were worshiping, and Zoom had my notes thing. Um, the word he gave me was expansion. So I think that's a prophetic word. I don't know if like, wow, there's lots more people in here, is the expansion. I, I really feel like it could be, but it's not, it's not the extent of the expansion. The expansion is, is more like he has a person, and I, honestly, you know, I, I can't paint with a super broad brush, but I can paint with the brush that's me and my observations. Most preachers are one-trick ponies. If you listen to the same preacher long enough, you'll find out that the Lord just uses different scriptures to say the same darn thing over and over again, right? Now, I'm not saying Denny and Mindy are going to be one-trick ponies, but if, if I'm, you know, kind of a one-trick pony, then you've seen God through how he's used me, and, and you're like the person who's trying to describe an elephant, but all you had a hold of was his trunk, the blind guy, right? And, and God is going to expand you in the coming season. So you should be prepared for expansion. Now, expansion, sometimes, you know, it's a little uncomfortable, but you should be looking for expansion, personal with the Lord expansion, your faith to expand, the gifts that he's given you to be activated more so in expanding for his purposes in his kingdom. So I want you to really be conscious of the word expansion, because I think he's going to do that to those that will chase after him in this upcoming season. Oh, including us, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm nothing if not elastic. You'll see some expansion today. If you watch me before buffet. <laughs> my wife, she hates it when I joke, but I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm just, just a donkey talking. All right. So for those of you that have been here and for those of you that are here, you know, because you wanted to say goodbye, I just say thank you so much. What a blessing for me and Trees for you to come today. Um, but you're not going to have a whole lot of context for today's message. Um, so I'll give you just a little. The thing that the Lord kept telling me that I had to preach was the gospel. I had to, I had to like, teach 
I'm a teacher. Teach the gospel. And then I was gone for over three months and get back, and there's lots of swirl going on. And it's like, okay, we were supposed to be done June 1st, but now it won't be till today because I didn't have enough weeks to preach what I thought the Lord wanted me to preach, what I believed was his uh, charge to me. So we talked about the beginning was, you know, what is the gospel? It's the opportunity that God has given to humankind or mankind, you know, I want to be politically correct, I guess, mankind to be reconciled into a love relationship with him. He showed me that because I never thought of it that way, but that's what he wanted me to present at the beginning is because he says, I has not seen nor ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. It's not for those who say a prayer. It is for those who are saved, born again, you know, all those synonymous words. But none of, none of those people are actually that if it doesn't bring them into a love relationship with God. So we started with that. And then we talked about um, what the gospel is. And we talked about how you respond to the gospel. We talked about the specificity of the gospel, that the gospel is only what the gospel is. It's not, well, this or well, that, or, you know, ask Jesus into your heart. I mean, you could say that is part of presenting the gospel, but it better have a whole lot of context around it, or it's not the gospel. And only the gospel has the power to save those who believe. So we talked about what it is, we talked about what it isn't, and we talked about that we shouldn't get distracted from it. Now, I, I had two messages, and you'll get them both today, because we're really done today. But you'll get them both today. Um, the, the two messages were, what happens if you actually respond to the gospel, the way the scriptures teach you to respond, what happens? And then the, the second thing I'm going to talk to you about today is that there's a way to know. The Bible teaches us there's a way to know. So, so like, I don't even know. People say, man, when I got saved, I knew it, man. You know, all the dull colors became bright and all and it had all this perfect awareness of their, that they had actually been born again. I, I don't have that experience. If you ask me what was the day you were born again, I couldn't tell you. I could tell you the day, well, I couldn't tell you the day, but I remember the event, the day I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was, a, that was an experience. But when my heart came into that place of um, understanding that I needed a Savior, understanding that I could only be saved by confessing Him as Lord or Master over my life, and trusting that His sacrifice absolutely 100% and exclusively satisfied my sin debt to God. I, I don't know when that was, but I know it was because I changed. So you may know or you may not know. If you don't know, like fireworks went off when you got saved, the Bible teaches you how you can know. So that'll be the second thing we'll talk about today. First is uh, something happens. Second is that you can know whether it actually happened or not. Now, before I do that, I felt a conviction when I was praying to this. Um, now, if I make eye contact with you during parts of this, I'm not looking at you, okay? You just happen to be where my head's pointed at that moment. The Lord said, let's just pretend. Well, I mean, I said that. He gave me an impression. Let's just pretend like, you know, all of you that have heard, you know, these messages, 
were hearing them for the first time, like you were considering whether or not you wanted Jesus Christ, if you wanted to, to give your life to him, if you wanted to have the benefit of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to do that now. I'm not looking for you to respond, but I just want you to, in, in kind of a practical context. And the first part's the easy part. The second part is really what I think he was getting at. So there's, there's two legs to saving faith. When, when you express faith, it's by grace that you are saved through faith. God extends grace so that there's an opportunity for you to be saved. And then you respond in faith. But faith isn't just a mental agreement with something. Faith is actually two components that make up saving faith that must be expressed that you would come into a born-again, eternal relationship with God. So the first is this. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just give you some questions to kind of help that part. Do you or did you believe that you are or were eternally separated from God and need a means beyond yourself to find reconciliation or salvation with God? So the first question you would ask yourself is, did I understand that I needed saved? Because if a person thinks, no, I'm good, then they can't get saved because they don't perceive a need and they can't humble themselves before the gospel unless they recognize the need for it. So the first thing is, would, would you say that you understood that, holy smokes, I'm eternally lost I'm under the eternal wrath of God, and I have no way to save myself. I need a Savior. The second question about this trusting or believing part is, do you believe that Jesus was offered as a sacrifice to God as payment for your sin debt to God? That what happened at Calvary is that Jesus was made an offering. Like you see in the, the, the Jewish um, sacrificial system, imperfect as it was, it was a picture of, of the perfect, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God shed on behalf of all of mankind that their sin might be remitted. So do you believe that when Jesus went to the cross and that everything that he did was a means of satisfying mankind's sin debt to God? If the, after the answer to that is yes, good. You're, you're up to step three. Lisa and Dan, how are you? Come and sit down. Everybody, don't look at them because they'll be embarrassed. The third question would be, do you believe that that offering, Jesus, the offering of Jesus Christ to God as payment for our sin was sufficient to satisfy the debt? If your answer is yes, perfect. Finally, faith, trust. Do you believe that Jesus himself was literally, absolutely, and truly dead? Not like suspended God animation, but dead, like dead, dead and that he was actually resurrected from dead, real dead, not, you know, because people say, no, he didn't really die. It's like, yeah, he did. He died. If he didn't die, then he can't be resurrected. If he wasn't resurrected, then our faith is vain. Do you believe that he literally died and was literally resurrected back to life? If you say the answer to that question is yes, then I think you've covered the base that is trusting or believing unto saving faith. The next one is repent. Jesus himself said, Repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. He said, repent and believe. He didn't say believe. He didn't say repent. He said, repent and believe. Then Paul said, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord is synonymous with repent, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead is synonymous with believe. You got to go back and hear the recordings if you want to understand why that is. Repent and believe. So the second leg of this thing we call saving faith is repentance. Let me ask you some questions about repentance. So remember, now I'm just a guy leading you to Jesus, but I'm doing it with the Bible, right? 
Are, are you prepared to sacrifice your life to Jesus as Lord or master over you for the rest of your natural life on earth? If your answer is yes, that's good. If your answer is no, then you're not going to get saved. It's important that you understand the word Lord does not mean he's God. It's not like, a, um, it is, but not in this context. It's not like a, a label that you would put on someone to respect them, like, oh, Lord, you know, oh, Mr., oh, Sir. It is, but it's not. It literally implies his master to your slave. And, and, and with his master to your slave, that's why you have to repent, because he's not inviting you into the kingdom with an attitude that you can continue to live like the world. He's inviting you into the kingdom because you want to be part of his kingdom, not part of the kingdom of darkness. Okay, second question, are you ready to repent, like turn from, repent, and go look at the, uh, well, I don't even know which one to tell you. I, I gave a great definition of repentance, but essentially repentance is this. She's right over here. Hey, Leah, man was here. Okay, whoever does the sermon, edit that part out. Um, repentance is, you look at, an example of repentance is this. Before I was saved, I was a sales manager at Hewlett Packard. I traveled all over the U.S. I had tremendous opportunity to cheat on my expense reports, which I did. I mean, to the tune of a lot. I thought it was okay. I knew it wasn't okay, but I rationalized, right? So um, I could rationalize why it's okay, and I would write a lunch in there that I didn't actually spend any money on, and I would take their money for it. I'd have Teresa take me to the airport and pick me up when I would fly away, and I'd charge them 20 bucks a day for parking, right? Stuff like that. And then I got saved. And I'm doing my first expense report since I got saved. I'm not thinking about, hey, whoa, now I'm saved. You know, this is different. I started to think, like, okay, Tuesday, Tuesday, lunch, Tuesday, I didn't have lunch today, but I don't have any receipt for Tuesday. Okay, Tuesday, lunch, and all of a sudden I stopped. It's like, I can't do that anymore. Why? Because my, my thinking changed. Repentance starts with your thinking. See, if I could convince myself that it was okay, I'd have kept doing it. But I couldn't anymore because the first thing that changes in repentance is the way you see things. Remember Romans 12, 2? And be no longer conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what I'm talking about. When you, when you get saved... You have to choose to repent. Repentance is a choice of your thoughts. No, that was wrong and this is right, and I'm turning to right so that once my thoughts have turned, then my behavior follows my thoughts, and i got to figure out how to live life without the extra money that I was getting from my expense reports because I, I can't do it anymore because I've repented from anything that Jesus says is against his will. If you're ready to do that, then, then I think you're there. But, but here's the thing. People are deceived. Um, I could be the guy in the crowd, and, and, and you know, Teresa or somebody else could be up here preaching, and they could say, are you ready to repent of everything? Now, I think the Lord says there's somebody in a room who's stealing on his expense reports. And you know what I would have done if I wasn't saved yet? I'd be like this. wonder who that is. Because somehow we're able to not see ours, and then we don't repent. It's like your heart has to be literally, I am dead to all that stuff, and it's going to come calling. It's not necessarily going to die 
as a, as a thing that you're going to want to do. But that's your old man, not your new man. And he has to be crucified, die daily, every day. But because I know that I could be the guy, and, I, and I've seen it with people when I've called out their sin, when I've said, hey, listen, is this what's going on in your life? Yeah, but it's okay. Well, how's it okay? How's, that, how's doing that and your confession of faith to Jesus, repenting, how, how do you make the two of that okay? Oh, man, that's where God's grace comes in. I'm like, are you kidding me? Read Jude. I, I should have put it in the scriptures for today. Jude says this, that these people have, have infiltrated the church and they're teaching a licentiousness that takes God's grace and makes it okay to sin. Like, they're giving you a license. I have a friend who is a little different theological, you know, church kind of teaching than me. And he's like, Pat, you don't understand. You're the worst sinner in the world. You sin more before you get out of bed in the morning than you have any concept of. And I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue that there's some sin that I might not be conscious of, but I'm a new creature in Christ. There's no way that I'm living my life like that. But to, to, to grasp that thing and say, it's okay, it's basically saying, well, I can't do anything about it, so I won't even concern myself with it. And then you all of a sudden have a license to sin that God does not give. Now, if I'm looking for repentance and I slip and I say, oh, Lord, and I confess my sin, he's righteous and faithful to forgive my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So God doesn't have an expectation necessarily that I'm going to be perfect, but he certainly has an expectation that that's going to be my goal, is to walk in holiness and righteousness of the truth. So because, because I know me, I felt like the Lord said, list them. List some sins. And, and so I'm asking you, like, put your little radars up, because yours is, if you have one, I'm not saying you do, but, but there's people that's been here for some of those meetings that I know have some of these, and they're amen and hallelujah, man. It's like, no, you got to confront your sin. That thing that you think God understands, I'm telling you, he does not. He might understand how you got there, but he's not giving you a license to stay there. Say amen to that. Amen. Okay, ready? Here we go. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Some meaty ones in here. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me just stop for a second. If you place true faith in Jesus Christ, you become righteous. If you commit one of these sins, that does not make you unrighteous in your eternal standing with God. It makes you unrighteous in your practical standing in the moment, like your relationship with God. But a sin or many sins doesn't nullify your salvation relationship with God. But many sins would indicate that you may not actually have faith. You'll see that later. Okay. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. God says to us, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators. Forgive me, children in the room. Fornicators is having, you know, a physical, you know what kind of relationship between a man and a woman. I guess it could be the other. Outside of the covenant of marriage. There is none of that stuff. I don't want to corrupt Joey until he's old enough to understand. There shall be none of that stuff except where it's ordained by God, and that is the marriage between a man and a woman. So if there's anybody in this place that's having that kind of relationship with somebody who's not their husband or not their wife, you need to repent. Fornication, idolatry, the worship of false gods, anything that you would place above 
the only true God of the universe. Like the guy, hey, nope, nope, you know, at that conversation, right, that's God's grace when I'm confronting this particular sinful lifestyle. At the end of it, he said, maybe I don't want to serve a God like that. I'm like, well, you don't have to, but you need to make sure you understand the consequence, right? You don't put anything above God. Adultery, effeminate, homosexuality. This is a fairly recent understanding for me. Like, I'm thinking effeminate is is a guy who acts kind of feminine, right? Wow, that seems like a harsh standard. It's not. In a homosexual relationship, there's two partners, two people. One, it calls the homosexual, the receiving partner, is the effeminate. So if you ever wondered what that meant, that's what that means. Either, either thing in that kind of relationship, people say, no, no, we're a committed couple. It's okay. We love each other. You know, we're not committing adultery. No, no. If you're a dude and he's a dude, it's sin and you've got to repent. If she's a woman and she's a woman, it's sin and you have to repent. You can't actually even be married, so it's fornication too, right? And if someone says, well, this one's a man... And this one identifies as a woman? Eh. Right. No. All that's nonsense. It's sad that people can be struggle with what is that kind of identity in themselves. And I feel sad for them. I really do. But it's not a license to do what God says you can't do. You have to repent. But it's hard. Yeah, well, guess what? There's a lot of men, you know, Teresa, you don't know any, that, that are married and, and they have a, a sense for women that aren't their wife. They have to put it down, put it down, put it down. Just like any other attraction, sensual attraction that's fleshly has to be put down. There is no license because you feel a certain way. Sin is sin. End of conversation. Okay, stealing or being a thief, sin. Uh, Expense report. Covetousness, to desire what's not yours, is a sin. It needs to be repented of. Being a drunkard, is it a a sin to drink? People have different opinions, but I, I think not. But if you're a drunkard, if you practice drinking and getting drunk, if you've got a reason why, like you're hiding from some pain or it's, it's pacifying, you know, it's medicating you, then let's deal with the pain in a proper way that it doesn't dishonor God in your confession of faith. Because he will give you the grace to put down anything like that. Whether the drinking is, is the root or there's something below it that's the root The grace of God is sufficient to take care of all of it. Reviling, to criticize in an abusive man. Did I have to learn this one? I remember, I don't know how long after I'm saved, I was the most sarcastic guy. I mean, I couldn't talk without sarcasm. Teresa's like, Dad, you need to stop. And I'm like, well, I don't think I have a personality without sarcasm. I'm like a stump, you know? And she said, well, you know, I don't think it's pleasing to God, and you should stop. I thought about it. I had to think about it for about five seconds. And, I, and you know, I think 99.9% delivered from sarcasm. Sometimes it gets up to 11.11. Some, <laughs> sometimes it gets out, and, and I, have to, I have to apologize to the Lord. I'm sorry. I let my flesh get in front of my spirit, and I was sarcastic. Because sarcasm is never funny. If I'm telling sarcastic about this person and that person's here, and, and all three of us laugh, guess what? That person who's the target of sarcasm, he's only laughing so that we won't be uncomfortable. But it wasn't, it wasn't edifying. It wasn't good. Sarcasm like that, bad. Reviling, bad. Has to be repented from. Swindling, doing dishonest business deals. And I put anger in here because 
it's on a list, but it's not on one of the lists. I mean, I could take you an hour and run you through all these lists of things that God says that we can do and God says that we can't do. And it's not like, oh, you're trying to put me under the law. I'm not. Thank God. Because he died, we can confess him and we can be under grace and not law. So we're not bound by law. We're bound by conscience and righteousness, right? But there's still the things we need to understand so we don't deceive each other or deceive ourselves that something that's not okay is okay. Anger. Anger is not okay. Say, well, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. I say, try it. You let yourself get really angry and see if some kind of sin doesn't come knocking with it. Because the, the place of your heart is what you're dealing with. And if you just choose to say anger is never. Matter of fact, in another place it says, the anger of man does not bring forth the righteousness of God. So if you've got problems with anger, I guarantee you, Anger is the symptom, it's not the root. If you're wrestling with anger, you need to ask the Lord or get somebody ministering to you and with you to figure out what the root is. When that root gets dealt with, the anger will be done. Anger. Okay, uh, Mark chapter 7, 21 through 22. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, Pride and foolishness. I put this one on there because it had a couple of new ones on Pride and foolishness. Pride is a very, very dangerous, dangerous sin. Pride is what exalts self above God. Pride is what it gives us a license to sin where God does not give us any license to sin. And foolishness was interesting to me, and I honestly didn't take the time to study it out, but it's listed. And in, uh, in Mark chapter 7, that's Jesus talking. It's not Paul or Peter or John or James. That's Jesus himself talking. So all that stuff, slander, pride, foolishness. Slander is to speak bad about somebody. It's easy to do that. Romans 1, 28 through 32. I'll read this fast. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. You have to understand that if you are proud, if you exhibit the sin of pride, there will come a time or could come a time when God will remove his restraint restraint from you and give you over to that which your flesh wants. See, the fact that we ever repent is because God grants us repentance. When um, Simon, in Acts chapter, hmm, I don't know, Acts chapter somewhere, where Philip is in Samaria, and this guy Simon's like, wow, that is so awesome what you guys did. Here's some money, can I have it? And he gets rebuked. And, and it says, pray to God that he might grant you repentance. See, repentance is a gift of God. It's a grace of God that we would repent. But if we get to the point where we tell God, sorry, look the other way. God, sorry, look the other way. God, sorry, look the other way. There can come a time, like he says right here, where God will take that restraint from you. Basically, he will numb your conscience. And you'll do the things that will cause you to get farther and farther and farther from God, and you won't even have a sense for it. Be careful. They did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. That one comes up in more than one list. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, 
Hope you don't check any of these boxes. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That's that guy who gives the license, right? Give hearty, oh, it's okay. God understands. He loves you. He understands that the two of you love each other, and, and you know, it's just not good for you to be married right now, but he understands. That's the licentious guy. Get that one out of your life because your flesh will want to hear what that person is saying and you need to put it down. First Corinthians chapter 6 talked about deception. Let me just read you from Ephesians chapter 5 and see it again. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of, giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God, excuse me, in the kingdom of Christ and God. So understand when it says no inheritance, it's talking about no inheritance. It's not like, well, I'm going to get there and... You know, heaven's going to be awesome. I just won't have any treasure. No, when you have no inheritance in the kingdom, it means you've got a different end story, which is the eternal lake of fire. Okay? And then verse 6 says this, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So do with that what you want, but you should be careful that whatever the thing is that you might be compromising on, I never said the word pornography, but immoral, immorality is pornography. If you're looking at pornography and you're rationalizing it, you, you can pick the million reasons why you might think it's okay. I am telling you, it is not okay. The whole, if the whole, um, which I guess it can't because the world's the world, but if there was no market for pornography, there'd be no reason for people to produce it. And it could just go and die the death it needs to die. I could, I could give you, I, I got lines through three more courses of scripture with lists. I'm not going to give them to you. But there's one that's not listed in the lists, but it may be like the worst one of all. Because it may be, and Kenneth, I bet I get an amen from you on this one. It may be the one that empowers all the rest is unbelief. So, so whenever you're thinking about your life, your walk with the Lord Jesus, how you're going to conduct yourselves, understand that in the broad sense of believing is that you don't do those kinds of things. That, that maybe the thing that, that God is most upset with is, like he did with the Israelites, right? He, he humbled Egypt and Pharaoh again and again and again, and they got to watch it all. And then he said, now it's time to go. But the prophecy said that you'd leave rich. So tell them you want their gold and their silver and their stuff. And, and the Egyptians took off their earrings and their necklaces and their rings. And they gave it all this wealth to the Israelites and turned them loose. And then Pharaoh changes his mind and he goes after them. And they're stuck. They're up against the wall of the Red Sea. What are we going to do? They're going to come and annihilate us. And God says, Moses. And he parts the Red Sea. And they walk through the Red Sea. Then they get out into the wilderness. Oh, the Red Sea happens to close down on... Pharaoh and his, his soldiers, and they all get killed. 
Then they get out into that wilderness, and, and they got nothing to eat, so he makes manna for them to eat. And they're thirsty. And he has Moses strike the rock with his staff, and they get water to drink that's miraculously delivered from this rock. And then they get whiny. It's like, yeah, you know, if we were in Egypt, we could have garlic and meat. So he gives them quail to eat. And they saw it, and they saw it, and they saw it, and they saw it. And then they whined. You're a bad God. Because they didn't believe his goodness. They didn't believe God. They saw all the signs, but they didn't believe. And God said, because of that, they will not enter into, into, into my rest. And those people did not get to go to the promised land. So I'm just telling you, the biggest battle you might have is with unbelief. And you need to fight that battle like a war. Okay. Okay, second sermon. Uh-oh. Father God, we need a data connection over here. In Jesus' name. What's that? I am. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 You didn't make it up, right? You read it in the Bible? If it feels like it, yeah, we have kind of a... challenge now is, and this is where your faith has to go to. Unbelief is a problem always. If God is working to bring you and me into his likeness because he has an eternal plan for us. Come on. That's why the rules are there. What we're seeing here, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet. This is the revelation of the character and nature of our Father. Come on wants us to be just like him in this world. Now, all of those other sins and crimes, they're a part of every natural man. They're a part of my natural man, your natural man, everybody's natural man. But we receive the Spirit of Christ into us. Now, we can put off the deeds and the lusts and the thoughts that rise up within us of the natural man and lay a hold of the new man. As we walk in the new man, we're walking right into the likeness of God. Amen, brother. Where we look like him in heaven. Interesting scripture in Colossians that the manifold wisdom of God is demonstrated through the church, through the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Men may not understand him, and they call you religious, do a lot of things, because they're still in the flesh. But your purpose in life is not to make money, not to have a happy life. Your purpose in life is to be formed into the image, transformed into the image of God. And by doing that, we put off that old man, and that's why the Lord gives us these rules. Because you have a marvelous future ahead of you. Marvelous. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it hasn't even entered the heart of man, the things of God prepared for those who love him. And because we love him and he's put his love in us, his spirit came into you, his love came into you. You can hide that love by walking in the old man or you can release that.
God has not seen ears, not heard the things that God has prepared for us in the heavens through the multiplied ages, like the last age we're in the 6,000 years so far, the ages to come that won't even be determined by time, but show the exceeding kindness of his grace toward us. That's why we put off those things. That we might prove the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen, brother. You know, the drop-in gets a clap all the time. The, the regular guy, it's like, okay, you know. <laughs> Thank you. So just, just before we move on, I'm just, I'm just exhorting you that would, that would say that you are in Jesus Christ to confront your sin. Don't make an excuse for your sin. Don't try to understand your sin. Don't be ashamed of your sin. Repent of your sin. Seriously, because if the devil can get you to be ashamed, then you won't go get help to get loose of it because he'll keep you in shame. Shame happened at the cross. You don't have to be ashamed. You need to be free. Okay, so then let's talk about how you know you're saved. The first thing is that you really need to understand that when you got saved, something happened. So, I mean, there was a literal, powerful, divine something that happened when you came to that place in your heart of saving faith, truly choosing to repent from your sin and trusting that that sin debt that you accumulated and could not pay was absolutely and sufficiently satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. At that moment in time, a divine change happened. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures. 1 Peter 1.23. I'm not giving you a lot of context because I, I want to eat potluck before 4 o'clock. 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. So, so Jesus was born different than I was born. I was born with perishable seed. My mother's egg and my father's sperm came together and at conception, I was already corrupt because they were corrupt in their father, Adam, and in their own behavior. So, so the seed that was used for my conception was corrupted seed, and it created a corrupted pat. And he did stuff like cheating on his expense reports. And he could make it okay, even though it's not okay. All right. But then Pat heard the gospel, and Pat believed. He expressed saving faith, and all of a sudden, a new birth happened. I didn't feel it, but it happened. What happened was the seed, the imperishable eternal seed that is God himself recreated me, a new creature spiritually in Christ. A new creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. See, when you express faith, and, and you're born again. <laughs> when Teresa and I first got saved, you know, sometime after that, my mom had some religious training back in her life. I, I, I hope she's in heaven. I don't know if she is or she isn't. Shared the gospel with her. She, she answered it properly, but I just don't know. We'll find out when we get there. But my mom said to us, well, <laughs> it cracks me up to think about it. You aren't one of those born-again Christians, are you? And I'm like, I mean, I didn't know much at the time, but I was pretty sure if you wasn't a born-again Christian, you wasn't a Christian. 
I'm like, Mom, I don't think you can be a Christian unless you're born again. But the whole idea, maybe the conversation, well, you have to be born again, got spun up in the church, and they're like, well, I'm a born-again Christian. Oh, wow, would that make you better than me? It's like, no, 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 it just makes you Christian, makes you saved, born-again Christian. When that happens, you are a new creature. I looked in the mirror. I look about the same I did before it happened, but that's not what it's talking about. Spiritually, born-again. My spirit, at that born-again instant, came to life and was integrated Part of, became one with the Holy Spirit. Kennard says it this way. He drinks tea in the morning. He's got tea and he's got honey. He puts that honey in the hot tea, stirs it around. He says, you get it apart. You figure out how to get the honey out of the tea. You can't. Why? Because now the drink is different. It's different. It's honey tea. And that's what happens with us. When we're born again, we're a new creature and we become alive in Jesus Christ spiritually. And our spirit becomes one with God's spirit. It's a change. John uh, 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's a divine birth, I guess. I don't know how to describe it. It's a divine. It only can happen by God, but God does it, and that's what happens. I know Ashley's here. Tanya Grace is in that little room back there if you want to say hi to Tanya. That's, that, yeah, that's where we put my daughters when I'm preaching. They get so unruly. Let me give you a preview uh, to 1 John that speaks to being born of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. I might have forgot to put that one in there, JJ. If you don't see it, don't worry about it. If you do see it, click it on. No one who is born of God practices sin because his, God's seed, abides in him, the person, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. That, that's, the, that's the preview to how you know. No one who is born of God practices sin. Practice is a really important word, right? I told you before, I could commit a sin. It doesn't separate me from God in my positional relationship of righteousness with him. But I can't practice sin because God's seed abides in me. Ephesians 4.24, this is like kind of what uh, Kenner said, and put on the new self. So you have a decision every day. You have a decision in every situation. You have a decision when you're, if you're a guy. Women don't struggle with this much. But when you're driving your car, and a person cuts you off. And they wave at you. You know what I'm talking about. It's not like, sorry. It's a different wave. You have a decision to make. Whose self, which self, the new self or the old self, is you going to present to that guy, right? Okay. And put on, this is the instruction, and put on the new self. So when he cuts you off and he waves at you, here's what you do. You put on the new self. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created. So my new self, that thing I told you about, has been created, Kennard, in the likeness of God, in the likeness of God, in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So you need to understand, if you're born again, you're not like the old one. You're like, well, the old one's still in my head. He is. God lets you keep that flesh until you're glorified. And I think he does so that you know how to really truly say I love you in a way that he receives love. Amen. Right? Why do I have to have my flesh, Lord? 
because I want you to tell me you love me. Well, I don't get it. Okay, well, every time that guy cuts you off and, and you are prompted to respond evil for evil, and you don't because you respond out of my son, you're telling me that you love me. Amen. Good. Then I'll leave it there. Here's the last part of this that I want you to understand, this new person that you have. Romans 6, 14 and 18. Not 14 through 18, but 14 and 18. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Who's your daddy? Righteousness. Who was your daddy? Sin. Who was your master? Sin. Why? Because you were under the law. Who's your master now? Righteousness. Why? Because you're not under the law. The power of sin is the law. When you come from under the law to not under the law, because God says that's not your legal system anymore, I'm placing you under grace, he has literally disabled the power of sin in your life. So if you say, but I'm struggling with blah, 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 and I tried to quit, but I can't, that's just not true. You could have not quit because you really didn't want to. You could have not quit because you're deceived to think that you can't. But if you're born again, you are not a slave to sin. Thank you. You are not a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. You don't have to work hard for righteousness to come out of your new man self. And you do not have to allow sin to come out of yourself. That old man is not powerful over you unless you let him out. Now, you could be deceived, and you might have a broken heart, and you might need some ministry, but at the end of the day, you are not a slave to sin, and you need to know it. Because if you think sin owns you, then it will own you, because it's deceived you. Okay. So how do we know if change has actually happened? You know that change has happened by the fruit of your life. What fruit does my life produce? You know whether or not you've been saved because your behavior will change. It's really the same thing. The fruit of your life and your behavior are the same things. And I'm telling you absolutely that if you answered the altar call, if you prayed the prayer, if you whatever, and your life didn't change, I would not hang my head on that salvation peg. I would not want to hope that when I stand before Jesus and there's no opportunity to fix it, that he's going to say, well done, good and faithful slave, because you will change if you are a new creature in Christ. Guaranteed. You might struggle with some stuff. You might struggle with a lot of stuff, but change is an absolute. It's not a potential. The other way you'll know is the witness of the Holy Spirit. I'll share that scripture with you at the end. Okay, so Matthew 7, 15 through 18. Because I'm nothing if I'm not a scripture parrot. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Now this is Jesus speaking. So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. That's just a, that's an absolute truth. So you say, well, I think I'm a good tree, but I told a lie a week ago. You told a lie. Is, is lying the practice of your life? If it is, then I'd be concerned 
whether you're a good tree or a bad tree. If you committed a sin and, and you felt repentant towards it and you cried out to the Lord and you said, God, I'm so sorry. I mean, I have bad dreams. I mean, you know what I mean by bad dreams? I have bad dreams sometimes. I don't know how to control my dreams. I don't know how to go to bed at night and make throw a switch that I'm not going to have a dream that wouldn't be pleasing to God. But I have them. I get up, or usually it happens like I wake up in the dream, and I say, God, listen, you know everything. You know what I just saw in my mind dreaming head. I'm just telling you, I don't agree with any of it. I don't know where it came from, but I don't agree with it. I think it's all wrong what I just had in my dream. I move on, right? I don't stop being like this with God because I had a bad dream or because I slipped in a situation and I waved wrong to the guy who cut me off. Just remember, Kendrick got a clap. I got a ha-ha when I, when I stumble. It's okay. The point, is, the point is this, that if you're born again, you're a good tree. You're just a good tree. You're not a bad tree. Now, you might have a tree that produces the most luscious fruit ever, but you got a little crab apple on there. 30, 60, 100 fold. There you go. The, the tree is good fruit. It might have a little deal, right? John chapter 15. This is how it happens to me. The scriptures just come into my head. Most of the time I put it down on Sundays. Today, last Sunday, I'm going to just give myself a license. John chapter 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he prunes so that it will produce more fruit. So here I am, Pat Brady, the good branch in Jesus the vine, and I'm producing fruit, but I got this little branch off my branch that's not producing good fruit. The father comes in, and he whacks that thing off. Let me just tell you, pruning is not always pleasant. Matter of fact, it's probably never pleasant. But it's necessary so that another part can grow out that produces good fruit instead of bad fruit. So was that branch in Jesus? Yes. Was it producing fruit? Yes. Was it perfectly producing fruit? No. So a little pruning had to happen. Does it make sense? Okay, that was Jesus. Good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Let me give you another fruit con contrast, and you'll hear anger in this one. Galatians 5, 16 through 24. But I say, this is Paul, there's this, this contrast going on. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit, excuse me, against the flesh... For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Let me make sure you understand this. I'll use me as the example. I'm born again. I know it. I have flesh, and I have cap, capital S, spirit, God's spirit inside of me, right? My flesh and God's spirit never agree with each other. Never. Zero. There's never even like a 1% agreement between my flesh and God's spirit. If my flesh thinks this, God's spirit thinks this. If my flesh moves up here and thinks this, God's spirit's down here and thinks this. They're always in opposition. If you ever think that something fleshly can agree with God, you're wrong. 100% no agreement between flesh and God's spirit, okay? Okay. That you may not do the things that you want to do does not mean like you want to pray for somebody or you want to express love towards somebody. He's only speaking to the flesh man. The spirit and the flesh are opposed. The spirit shows you what's right. The flesh wants to do what's wrong. You follow the spirit, and you will not 
do what you, the flesh bit, wants to do. That's what he's talking about. Okay, he goes on in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And, and led by the Spirit in this context isn't just like in this moment. It means you're born again and, and you have the Holy Spirit without regard to whose voice you're listening to at any given moment. You are not under the law. Now, the deeds or the fruit of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know what that means, right? If you're a practicer of those things, your eternal destiny is the lake of fire. Keyword again, practice. It doesn't give you a license for the occasional sin, but the occasional sin is not what indicates whether you walk in the Spirit, whether you're born again or you're not. It's the practice of sin. He goes on in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, think about this. This gets to be our fruit, the fruit of our lives. It's not just about, I don't have to go to hell and I get to go to heaven. It's like right now, I can be like this, the fruit of my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Can you see the contrast? The icky ones and the awesome ones. We don't have to do the icky ones. There is no power over us that, that can mandate the icky ones, but the power in us is always looking to release the good ones. Okay, now 1 John. 1 John is, is the place where I think God really, really wants to drive home this point of how you know. It's interesting. It, the end of the Gospel of John, right? There's, there's the Gospel of John... And then there's the letters of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Then there's the book of Revelation, which we attribute to John, right? So in the end of the Gospel of John, where he's, he's talking about Jesus and his life and his ministry, he makes this statement. He says, I've written these things so that you might know that this Jesus is the Christ. You don't have to wonder... Because there's all these prophecies, and there's all these fulfillments, and I walked with him from the beginning, and I'm telling you that I've written this so you don't have to wonder if this Jesus is Messiah or Christ. At the end of 1 John, he does the same thing, but for a different purpose. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So when you read what comes before chapter 5 and verse 13 in First John, you need to understand that he's telling you these things, just like he did in the gospel for a different purpose. He's telling you these things so that you can know whether or not you're born again, saved in Christ, or not. 1 John 2.26 These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So there's a deception that's going on. There are certain people that have come in. They call them um, antichrist. People with the spirit of the antichrist have come in, and they're trying to teach things that aren't true. So John says, these things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. 
the deception that the scholars believe are the Gnostic teachers were telling them that knowledge mattered, but behavior basically didn't. Um, they, they exalted knowing, probably they were Greek, and they diminished doing. It's sort of like my buddy who tells me, Pat, you sin more times before you get out of bed than you have any concept of. You're just a sinner. You can't help being a sinner, blah, 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 blah. The Gnostics were trying to say the same thing. Hey, knowledge is what you need, but you don't need behavior because you're such a mess already. Maybe, you know, maybe that was their message. But maybe earlier, this is the thing that uh, John was trying to get across. He says, my little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. See, they were the ones coming in to try to give them a license to sin. He said, no, I'm going to write this so you know, and you, you know that you should not sin. What John is teaching, and you need to hear me, like, you know, you need to hear me. He's teaching righteousness as a practice of your life versus sin as a practice of your life. Righteousness not as the means of getting right with God, but as the indication of whether or not you are right with God. Okay? So you don't become righteous. You don't start doing good things and then God accepts you. It's impossible. The only way you can become righteous is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no righteousness, and the righteousness we're talking about is the righteousness that's equal to God's righteousness himself. His perfection is the perfection that you need if you're going to be with him eternally. You can't do that. Only imputed, given to you righteousness in Jesus Christ is that. Okay. So understand, you can't be righteous enough to be saved. So you don't even have to try. What do you have to try? You just do faith. You trust Jesus. Okay. So when you see him say that the one who practices righteousness is righteous, they're not righteous because they practice righteousness. They practice righteousness because they become righteous, and now God has indwelt them, and because his seed is inside of them, they can't practice sin. It's just not possible because the new creature is different than the old creature. Make sense? Okay. Because the devil will want you to think, well, I'm screwed. Probably I shouldn't say screwed at church. Oh, I did it twice. Because I can't be perfect. And the answer is, if you read the Bible, you'll find out you're right. You can't. But the better, the better thing you'll find out is that you don't have to be. Because Jesus was right. Perfect. Right. Your trust in Jesus makes you perfectly right before God. How cool is that? I mean, honestly, when, when you stand before God in Jesus Christ, what he sees is perfect righteousness. You say, but God, I told a lie just before I died. Yeah, but that doesn't make you unrighteous. My son makes you righteous, and your faith in my son. That's awesome. Okay. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments, we know. How do we know? We keep his commandments. What if you don't choose to know his commandments? You need to choose to know his commandments. Otherwise, you don't really care. You're not concerned with his lordship. You're not concerned with entering the kingdom of light and being light in this world if you're like, I got my ticket, but I'm not interested in what that means. You need to want to know what his commandments are. You want to know what they are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two, you'll satisfy all the law. It's not that easy. You need to figure out what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Seriously. And you know what? If you love your neighbor as yourself, you don't have to concern yourself with loving God. Because if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will be loving God. There you go. You can study that one out yourself. I'd go somewhere in John 15, 14, somewhere in there to study it out. 
By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. <laughs> and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. That means my love towards God. Truly perfected when I obey him. By this we know that we are in him. The one who said he abides in him ought also ought himself to walk in the same manner as he, Jesus, walked. Okay, there's hint number one. 1 John 2.29 if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also who practices righteousness is born of him. Remember, we talked about the born of earlier. Jacob, I think Annika's going to sleep over there. Give her a little shake. Or it's just permeating her thinking. The point is, everyone who practices righteousness is born of God. Not because they practice righteousness. They practice righteousness because they're born of God. Remember, God's seed, born of God. It's all one thing. Okay, um, before I read you this next part, because this is really where the rubber hits the road, you need to understand again that there's a difference between the occasion of sin and the practice of sin. There's a difference between the occasion of sin excuse me, the occasion of righteousness and the practice of righteousness. The devil will want to help you to stumble, and in your stumble he'll want to tell you that you're not born again. And you need to know that your stumble does not make you born again because you're not under law if you're saved. You're not under law. You're not accountable to law. That's quite a lot of grace right there. Okay. There's a difference between the occasion of sin and the habitual practice of sin. 1 John 3, 4 through 8. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. You know how we know there's no sin in Jesus? Thank you very much. Becca, you've been paying attention. The resurrection is, is, is the linchpin of Christianity. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus was not an accepted sacrifice by God. That's why when Paul says in Romans 10... Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. It's a summary statement, but what you're saying is, I believe that God received that sacrifice as perfect and spotless because the wage of sin is death, but he was resurrected. Death had no hold on him, therefore he had no sin. Um, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Clear contrast. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. The fruit of his life is righteousness. That's the indication that he's actually righteous, that he's born again, that he's saved, that he's indwelt by God's Spirit. The practice of sin, excuse me, the, pra the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So he says, do not be deceived. And I'm saying, and don't deceive yourself, right? The person that's like, no, 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 I, you know, I just can't, I just this, I can't. And he's like, no, no, he's not. There's, there's areas where Scripture's tricky. Like, you know, he seems to talk in ways you really have to press in to try to understand it. But there's some ways he says, black is black and white is white. Two plus two is four. Two plus two is, mm, I don't know. No, it's four. You know, so there's areas where he's explicit, and that's why I think this First John scripture 
is so powerful because it doesn't make me have to wonder. It says, hey, don't be deceived. It's obvious. I haven't gotten there yet, but it does. Okay, works of the devil. I already talked about some of these deceptions. You know, uh, it's okay. God understands. We love each other. It's okay. God wants us to be happy. Don't you understand God wants me to be happy? No. He wants you to be holy. If happy comes from holy, amen. But he also says, hey, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. Stuff is not going to go well. As a matter of fact, if they figure out that you're one of mine, they're going to persecute you. Good luck with happy. Right? But your joy doesn't come from that. Your joy comes from knowing what God has done for you and who you are in Christ and that your service now is glory later. Okay. God wants us to be happy. How about this one? You might have even said this one. I think I might have. It's okay. I can't help it. God made me this way. It's like, no, 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 no. He made you like him. You got corrupted. Yeah, Adam started it. Now you made yourself this way. Okay. Remember the, the born of God scripture earlier? This is an outcome. This next part is an outcome of that birth, born of God. No one who is born of God practices sin. No one who is born of God, practices sin because his God's seed abides in him, me. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. Let me just read that all at once. No one who is born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. And it doesn't get much more clear-cut than that, does it? No one is no one. No one who practices sin is of God. They're of the devil. No one. Well, but what about? I don't, you know, I don't know about what about. I just know that's what it says. And that's where my faith is. If you're born again, born of God, saved again, these are all syn- synonyms. You're a new creation. That new creation does not practice sin, but as a slave practices righteousness because it has no choice. He's not vague. God through John is not vague, but very direct. Everyone who practices sin is of the devil. Now, you know what you might ask me, Pat, where's the line? Like, where's the line between occasional sin and practice sin, righteous, devil, all that kind of stuff? You know what my answer is? I don't know. Paul says in, is it Philippians chapter 3, maybe, that you would work out your salvation with fear and trembling? You know, my friend Ron from HP, Christian, strong Christian, like, you know, witness of his life, clearly. We'd be out to dinner. Our boss would call us all together. We'd be in Chicago or who knows where, and we'd have dinner together. and Everybody would order a drink. And I'm a brand new, like, going to church guy. I might not even be saved yet. But I'm a going-to-church guy. And uh, everybody orders a cocktail or a beer. Ron orders like an iced tea. I said to him, because now I'm curious about all this Christian stuff. I said, Ron, you never order a drink. How come you don't drink? Is it a sin to drink? He said, no, it's not a sin to drink. But here's the way I look at it. I'm standing on a plateau. And it's so foggy. If I put my finger here, I can't see it. I know. There's a cliff in front of me somewhere. 
I don't know if the cliff is one step away. I don't know if the cliff is two steps away. I don't know if I could walk for five minutes before I'd step off that cliff to my destruction. He says, for me to drink a drink is to take one step. For me to drink two drinks is to take two steps. I don't know how I'm going to respond to one drink. I don't know how I'm going to respond to two drinks. I can't see where the cliff is, so I choose not to step. I just stand still, right? So so you, you, people will say, well, you got to help me because i got to know. I'm like, hey, listen, if you're asking me to help you, how much sin you can have before you step off the cliff? That's the wrong question. I'm saying work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm saying be careful. The reason you should be afraid and tremble is because you don't know where the cliff is. You don't know where that line is. So don't go near it. But I feel like being angry. Well, just don't. But you don't understand. It's like, I do understand. Sin is not your... I think, Denny, I think I might be preaching a little right now. <laughs> My point is that it's like, you've got to think different about this stuff. It can't be about how much can I do and still be okay. If you want to do anything, you've got to be concerned whether you're okay at all. Because you're listening to your flesh man. He's always going to tell you it's okay. And guess who's going to help him? The devil. That's why you've got to know what the Bible says. So you know how to respond. Jesus, in the wilderness, he's coming out 40 days. He's weak. Satan, this, Jesus, scripture. Satan, that, Jesus, scripture. Satan, this, Jesus, scripture. Because he knew, because he knew the word of God. Turns out he was the word of God. By this, the practice of sin or righteousness, the children of God or the children of the devil are obvious. Obvious. That's a pretty, like, yeah, it doesn't give me much room. Nope. As a born-again, new creation in Christ, is it possible that you may sin? Yes. I hate this. Not only possible, but probable. Not that, that you're a slave to sin, right? It is possible. It is pros- probable. But is it possible or probable that you'll practice sin as a born-again Christian? No chance. None. So if you're practicing sin, that ought to be a big red flag. What should I do? Should I repent? No, you need to get saved. Right? Okay. So then how do we know? The practice of our lives. Sin, practice, practice, not occasion, the practice of our lives. Sin, not born again. Righteousness, child of God. Finally, with the preaching part, Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Read has the spirit of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, sons, children, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So the fruit of your life will testify to you whether you're saved or whether you're not. But there's a testimony that comes from the Spirit of God and your spirit that will give you the understanding that you truly are a son of God. Now, I, I honestly can't tell you, like, absolutely, what is that testimony? Like, what does his spirit say to my spirit that my spirit says to his spirit that I know I'm a son of God? I don't know, but I think, I think, this is, I think, right? So write it in pencil. Don't write it in ink. <laughs> that rhymes. I think that the witness of your new man towards righteousness and away from unrighteousness is your spirit and the spirit of God testifying together. 
I think that's what that is. I know that the practice is true. The evidence of your life is true. I know there's a witness. I don't know that I could say exactly what it is, but that's what I think it is. Amen? Okay. Now, um, I've just preached my last sermon at Church on the Street, at least as the pastor. Maybe someday, maybe someday the, the new guy, maybe someday the new guy will, you know, offer me a five-minute testimony or something, and, and I'll come back to Michigan and maybe get a chance to speak. Maybe I won't. I don't know. I mean, I honestly don't know. Um, I'm going to say goodbye to you in a minute. This morning, you know what? I don't think, March, you could tell me. Have I ever told you what to play on a Sunday morning? We've made a request, but not hardly ever. Okay. So I don't ever, I never know. Honestly, Margie's like, hey, what are you preaching on? I'll get some songs that go right together with your preaching. And she'll ask me on like a Wednesday. Are you kidding me? It's Wednesday. I've got three more days to sweat before I've got any idea. Right. Oh, but I do usually, you know, the Lord gives me a thought and then he gives me scriptures as I'm reading the Bible and I just put them down, put them down. But it's Sunday morning before I organize the thing. If I try to do it sooner, it changes on Sunday morning. So I never can help her. Like say, hey, I play a song like this, play a song like this. And then this morning, as I'm sitting, you know, looking at all this, a song come into my heart. So bless her heart, the last time... At like, you know, 8 in the morning or something. Hey, Margie, what's on your playlist? I'm hoping God already did it, but he didn't. <laughs> so could you just put this song, and maybe we could just sing this song, because it, it goes with this, and, and it gives us an opportunity to make a declaration before God of who we are. Amen? Okay, I'll be back in a minute. Both of you, not just you, but both of you, because you both have that heart of ministry. So he's touched both of you today. And this little city is very important to him. And it's not going to remain little. There's an expansion coming. And you're going to have to oversee that and help that along. And the Lord's going to do this. The expansion will not just be in the hearts of the people, but there'll be a bigger number of coming here too. Finding deliverance, finding life finding Christ, finding purpose for their lives, and you're to oversee that because the yoke of the Lord is on you. He's blessed you, and, you're, and they've been prepared for this. So this little city is going to grow, and it's important to the Lord. Wait a minute, one more thing. Can I talk to Pat for a second? Pat, where are you at? Pat, there's a road in you that you haven't seen yet. <laughs> and you and Teresa are going to walk that road as the Lord opens it up to you. And some of the road is going to be difficult simply because it's going to require real faith and trust to walk on that road. But it's going to be glorious for you and for others as well. And it's possible that things aren't going to work out exactly the way you expect right now. But there's going to be a real blessing, and that road will be revealed to you as you go along, okay? Bless you. Sorry, I have to say this. I thought at first he said that the joke of the Lord was upon us. <laughs> you did too. And there's a meaning that's bigger because I've been saying for weeks, boy, the Lord really tricked us <laughs> into this because we were not, we didn't, we weren't heading back to Michigan to stay even. 
And so we'll share more of that next week. But yeah, the Lord totally was like, okay, how do I get him back to Michigan? And how do I get this all rolling? So praise God. So I would, if you, and I know next weekend is Independence Day. Just encourage you all to come because we're going to share a bit of the backstory of how the Lord and why he picked us, you know. I mean, he picked us, not Pat and Teresa, not anybody in here. He picked us to take this role. And so just uh, please try to come out. I know everyone's going to be going. We'll get you out before 10 p.m. before the fireworks start. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Pastor's going to go a couple hours. No. Okay, so uh, Pat and Teresa, you guys come up here in these chairs because uh, there's a few people that are going to prophesy over you guys. And uh, you can stick around for that as well. So, uh, yeah, you know who you are, who you were asked. Kenner, was that, was, you already did, was that what you were going to pray over them? Okay, all right, and then Mike and my wife. So, go ahead, brother. Yeah, just. I want, I want to share with everybody that when I think about a step, all of us have a part in praying that God would bring forth the perfect desire within your heart would never lose sight of his desire for your parting, but in parting with the power and the demonstration that each step would be an engagement of us. There is no separation. I just want to let you know. When you're praying for someone, you're united through the Spirit, releasing the very things of the Spirit. And I'm going to release things for you in my prayer time and in my closet time that will head off destruction, the plot of the enemy, and take down the very thing that he thinks he's going to use against this anointed man. But as he steps into the very presence of God, the presence of God will destroy the device of the enemy. Not just kind of move it out of the way. I'm saying destroy it. Don't give it a chance to rise up again. Your anointing is to destroy and open a door to release the captives and set them free from the thing that held them all their life long. They're waiting for a word and a powered anointing to come on a ship. Glory to God. Now listen, this is the thing. Step. I'm speaking truth. Experiencing peace. There is an anointing on your lives. If you are working out your own salvation apart from him, you're in a destructive flow, and God wants you to awaken to know the peace that passes understanding. It's not going to cater to your flesh. It is going to crucify it as he separated you from that filthy, rotten enemy who is deceiving you through the desires of your flesh. So the word of God is coming forth to set us free. Now I just want to tell you, I get loud, but it's not the volume, it's the anointing of God that breaks the load. The only anointing thing that God's going to anoint is you agreeing with what he wants to do through you. Danny, you said yes. You said yes. When I look at, I look at the very eyes of our understanding, what is in the eyes? You spell the word, it's got Yes. You want God's eyes to be able to see. You want God's eyes to be able to see. And I look at this righteous man, Joseph, 
when he was put in a tough, tough situation, his bride was pregnant. Think about that for a minute. He's engaged and he finds out his bride is, it's, you know who I'm talking about now, right? Okay, I just want to make sure that you didn't think it was somebody. <laughs> Listen, he thought in the presence of God, he was a righteous man. He thought at that moment, I want to do and respond as righteously as I can. He wanted to respond righteously. You want to respond righteously in the things that you're doing. And in that very moment, an angel appeared and said, don't fear to take Mary as your wife. When you want to do the righteous thing, you will get the heavenly guidance. You will get the heavenly instructions. You will find your steps being ordered by the anointing of a king who wants to walk out his ministry through your body and through your being. Do we realize who we are? Do we really realize we're not separated from one another because of the blood and the spirit that dwells within us? Do you realize our decisions protect one another and they cause the very glory of God to manifest over one another? So I want to bless you. The Lord last night, I mean, Kim sent me a text that says, hey, prophesy. I'm thinking, I don't know what to say. I'm serious. But I know he does. So it gives me a dream. And all I've seen was 119. And then I started reading down through it. And he says, there's a request in there that I'm going to be praying for both of you. All the way down there, there's so many requests in Psalms 119. But he said, the request, it will not be granted Unless you request what I'm requesting you. It's just not to learn something about God. It's a channel for God to flow through. When you pray and ask God. And the request that he's asking is this. That you would respond to the request of his heart for one another. When it was an honor when you, you, the, you guys kind of put me on a, on a place to say... Uh, you know, you might be able to minister at church on the street. And down in my heart, I knew I wasn't the pastor. But I knew I had a part in it. And here's the thing. The Lord told me. He said, Mike, you weren't, you weren't chosen for that position. But you are chosen. I'm telling you, all of us are chosen by him. And he get, put this in my heart. And I want you to relax in knowing that he does have a plan for you. He hasn't forgotten about you. And it is vital for you to see how important it is. How important it was for Mary to play her part for us. How important it is for you to respond to the word of God for one another. Your part is vital for the working of God's full body in establishing his full will in this time. So I just want to thank the Lord. Psalms 119 was rolling in me. And Psalms, or Isaiah 5510, you know, we'd be getting a lot of rain. A lot of rain. 
Isaiah 55, 10 has to do a lot about rain. And then when I was thinking about blessings, that like, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So I'm looking at the word bless one another. Bless one another. When you get rocked, bless. When you get rocked, let the word of God flow through you. The only thing that can come out of you is what God is working within you. Unless there's something that you're holding on to, the enemy will disrupt that flow. God will ask you, do you want to grow? Crucify that thing. So he'll expose errors that we're hanging on to, but it's really the enemy trying to pull you back from your full commitment to God. God made a full commitment to you. We want to match that commitment. You understand what I'm saying? So here's, here's, here's the cry of my heart for all of us. I believe that there's an anointing here to go to the next level that we've never seen before. I believe that we can't hold on to traditions of the thing that's in the past and not allow God to rework within us that that is a stepping stone to get to this place that he's going to bring to us that we have a part to step into it. So I want to say this, this step that the Lord has given to me, he said, speaking truth, experience, and peace. He said, peace is the thing that will pass your natural understanding. It will disconnect you from being manipulated by Satan through reasoning and circumstances. You're called to go. There is no other call that is calling you apart from that. God is establishing you and going to fulfill that call through you. So when the enemy challenged you, maybe this circumstance, no, that's when you erupt with what God has given into you. And no matter where you're at, you shout the glory of God. You don't consider something different. If you plan on doing something that the enemy's offering you, if you're pondering something that's out of order, you will get entangled and you will get taken down. And the call of God is being delayed by your decision to do something outside of him. We need to pray for one another. We need to keep one another in the faith. We need to acknowledge at the same time that when they, we start to pray for one another. Now, I just wanted to finish with this. The captivity in Job at the end of the, end of the chapter, he said he turned the captivity when Job prayed for his friends. And I looked at them and I thought, they didn't seem like very good friends. <laughs> God called them friends. When you pray and release God's will over one another, it releases the double blessing. It releases an increase within you. When you quit thinking about yourself and how you were treated, the enemy wants you to remember the thing in the past. God's got a remembrance for you to do things in the future coming out of him. And now he's calling you to let go of the things in the past. Let go of the thing that you think is right, that you've done this and you've done that. Your eternal being is at stake here. You can have all kinds of provisions in the natural, but if you're building a foundation that is not the Lord, you will fade away with those things. The only thing that's going to last is the foundation that God has spoken to us, and that's Christ Jesus. Build on that.
I do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, if this, he's a pastor, he can do that. Go ahead. Oh, thank you, Lord. Okay. I promise to get it back. Father God, I know everybody's hungry. But I'm so excited what you're about to do here. And I pray that even as the boat is on the water, the Pat will, Teresa will recognize they're walking the water of your word every single day. And they never are going to be apart from the river that's flowing through them that carries the mission of your heart. Wherever you turn, they're willing to go. And I thank you that all of us would have such a heart today to allow you to turn us where you see fit and we surrender. And I humble myself to this ministry. I humble myself under your mighty hand. And I thank you, Father, for what you're about to do here and how it's going to be effective in everyone's life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Dad. You bet. So, Pastor Pat and Teresa, uh, when they asked me to pray for you and prophesy over you, uh, I was at the coffee machine yesterday and I heard the Lord just say Psalm 91. Uh, and the portion that was sticking out was verse 1 and 2, and it said, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. The Lord is going to take you on a journey of trust that you trust him every step of the way. Scripture says that the voice of the Lord is on the waters. You guys are going to be on the waters a lot. Father, give them ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking unto the church. I also saw you like Jonah, that you're going to go on the water and take a message to a people that says repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I see you going like Paul, traveling on the waters from another town to another town, staying three days. Now, I know you told me some of your journey, but this is not what, this they had no influence on this. And now you're just going to sit and teach for days. So, Father, I just thank you for Pat and Teresa, this journey. Father, I'm asking for your shalom in it. God, I'm asking for your peace in it, Lord. I feel like you, you're going to feel the lift of the burden of this ministry as pastors. You're going to feel the lift. Gone. Yes. Amen. And, and then another one's coming. So, Father, I ask that you would, uh, I speak grace over you right now. Grace, grace, grace. I feel like the Lord is saying also, when you pull out of this driveway, the Lord wants you to just take a deep breath and let it out and just be still before the Lord. And that's okay. Just in this resting, peaceful place, take the deep breath and the Lord's going to be on that. So Father, bless them in Jesus' name. So I don't know the whole story and I'm not crying because of allergies, I've got hormonal things going on. 
Okay, I'll be quick because I am hungry. Okay, so it's you, Teresa. I just, man, I couldn't, couldn't get my eyes off you all morning. And every time I would look at you, just this incredible refreshing would just come over me. And it wasn't for me, it was your refreshing. The Lord says, I am taking you into a place of incredible refreshing that you've never experienced. Can you hold, hold that for me? And so I felt as if the Lord said, I know that you guys have plans. The Lord has downloaded all this. But I feel like, I, again, I don't know the story, but I feel like the Lord says, Teresa, this is all about you, honey. I'm doing this for you. And I turned to Song of Solomon, and the Lord said, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. This is why you're going. He's calling you to come away. And he says, the winter is past. The rain is over. Amen. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green flags, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. And then it says, awake, O north wind. That's us. We're going to wake up. That's our expansion that's coming. And come, O south. And that's where they're heading. Blow upon my garden that its spices may flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. This isn't a disconnect here. We will stay. We're, we're connected for good. So that scripture there, Song, Song of Solomon 4, 16, is this, this right here, this connection. Uh -huh. The island of Grenada is called the Spice Island. <laughs> so, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you let it be done. I thank you, Father, that they have heard your calling to come and come away with you. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to blow their minds mostly with just total refreshing in this season in Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you bless this food and fellowship in Jesus' name. Let the hungry go first. Oh. Okay, you know what? I felt Tony had a word. I really did, and I just didn't want to delay anymore, but. So if you guys don't know, you probably don't know this story. I met Denny and Mindy 15 years ago. I was four years back in a row. I didn't know this guy, and he stood there in the flames cooking, and I mean he was cooking. Two weeks later, I had a huge word for him. I wrote it all on paper and took it to him. Two weeks later, I went down and talked to the guy. And I'm telling you, if you wonder if this is not the guy for this church, you are wondering the wrong thing. This guy has been on a journey like you have never seen. And it's funny because when I met him, I told him, I said, God is going to give you a house or a church. And I drew all these buildings on a street. Did I not? It's funny because Esther 4.14 says you were born for such a time as this. I met Pat and Teresa at their life group three weeks into going to church, got waylaid by the Holy Spirit that night. So I'm telling you, this is the best thing I've ever seen. I can't even believe that I'm here. This just shocks me. This is, this is the coolest thing I've seen in years.
Okay. No more humility. No, I'm just kidding. Come here, Patty. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to learn my cues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Patty wasn't going to be up here, but as representative of Keith and our most treasured, not most treasured, but longest treasured elder. Yeah. She wanted me here. And I'm only going to give this to you. I'm going to read because otherwise I'll just sob. But pantries have been my best friends for since the beginning. I mean, yeah, so yeah. there's so much I could say, but I'm not going to cry. So this is from the church. And I need my phone so I can read what's inside. <laughs> if you could, I'll just extend your hands and let's just bless them with what's inside. <laughs> As you stand with a new horizon ahead of you, we bless you to seize each sunrise and sunset and to live fully in between. May the Lord be your compass and may you walk ahead in hope and confidence. May you engage with the beauty of creation and connect with the passions, hopes, and dreams of your youth. May you not leave anything behind but walk forwards into all that God has for you. To your new page and your next chapter. Love every member, past, present, and future of Church on the Street. Yeah. I just sense such a shift that has happened through this whole service. And this, the, every word that's been spoken, every prayer that's been prayed, every hug, every tear, we love you, we bless you, and we're stepping forward. Amen. <laughs>